Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott, a life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day everybody, welcome to episode 6 of Inside the Ropes. Huge week uh, for golf, obviously with the second of the Women's Major Championships on the agenda. There'll be a lot of time dedicated on the program to that. Martin Blake joins us in the absence of Mark Hayes. Hello, Blakey. Hard act to follow there, no, mate. Andy. No, no, no. <laughs> I notice your sheet is full of statistics. Are you going to try and outstat Hazy in the week that he's away? Well, it wouldn't be hard, would it? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's it just prep, be. mate. It's just prep. Looking forward to having a chat to you about the whole lot of your work. Alison Whitaker joins us again on Inside the Ropes on a huge week for women's golf. Al, great to see you. Yeah, it's good to be here. I mean, women's golf's getting pretty exciting at the moment and uh, <laughs> there's lots going on. <laughs> It is a. I mean, it's a fascinating time in women's golf. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of time to have a chat about that on the way through. There's a couple of bit, bits of housekeeping on the way through, of course. If you are a first-time listener or you haven't got around to subscribing on Apple Podcasts, the old-timers like me used to call that iTunes, uh, go ahead and do it. Or for Android users, download a podcast app through Google Play. Get the show delivered to your device every Thursday. Leave a review like Fisho56 did. Give it multiple stars. That means more than three, four, preferably five. Uh, and we'll read your name out on the show. So thanks for doing that. Fisho56. We've got a segment coming up next week with Clates and Hazy, who are back in the seats that you two are occupying today. And it's the Ask Us Anything segment. All you're going to do is use the, use the hashtag inside the ropes on your tweet questions. We're going to run it through Twitter. Uh, any question you'd like to put before Michael Clayton or Mark Hayes, um, by all means, go ahead and do so. Hashtag... Um, ask anything. Uh, hashtag inside the ropes. Ask us anything you like. Did right. we get to number three on the sports yeah, list this week? Number stars. two. Number two. Number two. Did we? Jeez, flying. Mm. Um, there's a lot to get through. We're going to spend a bit of time talking to the caddy of a player who's surging at the moment, and the coach of an Australian player who we all hope might be hoisting um, a major championship trophy aloft uh, in a few days' time. There's been a bit going before and between and around all of that. It's been a huge week for golf. What's been your highlight? Well, my high was the Jordan Spieth hole out to win the Travelers Championship. What a, what an awesome golf shot and what an awesome sort of player he is under the under the clutch. Got into a a playoff with uh, Daniel Berger, holes it out. Now, I, I read a story about this the other day, Mari um, and uh, Al. Um, Michael Greller, who's his longtime caddy and good friend, uh, they have a bet every year about how many times he will hole out from off the green and Michael Greller has to pick a number and last year it was 19 and if he gets to the 19 and above uh, he uh, Michael Greller has to host him for a dinner at a restaurant with as many guests as he wants so last year he got above the 19 so they went to a place called Cafe Australia I think it was called 
in uh, when he was here for the uh, Emirates Australian Open. They went to Circular Key, had dinner there. So this year's number, sorry, last year's number was less than 19. This year's number is 19. He's now at about 12 or 13, according to Michael Greller the other day. He's so in trouble he, already, he isn't he? He thinks he's in trouble. So Jordan Spieth, that was my highlight, particularly being the reigning Australian Open champion. We hope that he's, and we'd expect that he's probably coming back to defend his title at uh, the Australian this year. So that was my high. Let me ask you a question, Alison, about Jordan Spieth. And I'm talking about the players at the elite level, like the stratospheric players. Does any player, and I expect there's probably one in the history of the game that leaps to mind when I ask you this question, is there any player out there at the moment who has a bigger gap between their best shots and their worst shots? <laughs> I mean, on the first playoff hole with Daniel Berger, he hit Spieth, hit a low pull drive about 160 metres into a tree. Now, if well, if Blakey or I played that shot, we'd be filthy. And I'm, we're we're mid level <laughs> handicappers. I don't know about you. But I know, yeah, I know, I know where, how my game's tracking at the moment. But I would be. Oh, what a terrible shot that was. I mean, he had, then he's got two hundred and thirty into that front pot. He makes it, and then he does what he does. But you know, cast your mind back to Augusta a couple of years ago, where he you know, decelerates through those chunk wedges into the water. He's got this. He's got this unbelievable gap between his best. And he's worst. Yeah, and it's so easy to forget that um, I think it's since 2014, he has only ever gone 12 events without a win. That's his longest wow. in the last three three years. So that's that's the kind of calibre of player is he, he is. And we talk about lulls in form and that kind of thing. And, and the whole thing is, as a pro, we look at ball striking because you want to have sound ball striking because putting is always going to be fluky. Um, that's the one thing that you can have a great read, you can prepare well, you can hit a great putt and you can miss it. Whereas with ball striking, you need to be super solid. Like you want both of your stats, uh, fairway accuracy um, and greens and reg up over 75% minimum um, and then take it from there. And, it, and you know, Shan Shan Fung in the women's game is a great example of that at the moment. If she putts well, she wins. That's, right. That is bottom mm. line. And same with, um, you know, the player we're going to talk a little bit about in uh, in the next few minutes, uh, So Yon Yu. So it's uh, it's an interesting part of the pro of the pro game and you know pointing out the fact that he does have that polarizing part of his long game uh, is a testament to how exceptional his short game really is because that's really where he shines and it's 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 not the flashiest part is it so he's especially not, at the moment he's not awesome to watch uh, he's not awesome to watch at all but I'll tell you what he is when, you know he's clutch when you know remember last year we were there Andy oh yeah on the last green at at Royal Sydney, you know, gets in a playoff, hits it on the green, bang. You know, and and I remember, um, uh, you know, the other guys in the playoff saying, you know, they they all knew he was going to make it. Look, he's won ten PGA Tour events. Yep. By the age of twenty three, Tiger Woods is the only one who's who's done that. So he's kind of in that area. I think Tiger had won fifteen. He's won uh, thirty million bucks on the PGA Tour. He's number twenty-five all time. There's, going there's okay. a stat. Two majors in there as well, yeah. isn't there? So. He's going okay. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot more to come. Mm. That's the great thing that we got to look forward to with him. Your highlight of the week, please. What's um, my highlight of the week actually came on Saturday of last week, where um, so you know there's this huge tussle at the moment on the LPGA for the world number one spot. It's so exciting to watch. Um, you just got to sit back and let it let it you know play out and. Um, and so Yon Yu went out, shot 61 course record on a golf course. I've played that golf course in, in this LPGA event in Arkansas. And there is not a 61 out there. Like that was one of the harder tracks that we played um, during the season that I was out on the LPGA. It's a ball strikers golf course. And 
that is seriously good golf, and especially when she's vying for the world number one spot. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a Australian link to the two stories that you two have brought to the table. Yes. Cam McCormick. There you go. I mean, he's coaching <laughs> both of them. So, you know. Not a bad week for him. He's, for, for a guy who is clearly doing a lot right with his students, he remains, you know, by and large, fairly. Um, like fairly obscure when it comes to we know, we all know the name, but he doesn't put himself out there. He's not. He doesn't seem to be one of these kind of coaches who wants to be a celebrity coach. Like I don't know whether that'll come down the track, and but he he does seem to keep his profile very very low. Yeah, and for me, there's Cam. Obviously, is is one of those guys that we don't know in that upper echelon of, of coaches yet, but Gary Gilchrist is another one who keeps a super low profile, <laughs> um, goes and does a lot of work in Asia as well, but he's currently coaching Lydia Ko, Shan Shan Fung, um, both the Jutanagan sisters. So he's got a, and Paul Kramer, I mean, just to name a few, um, Yanni Seng's also worked with him. So it, it, there are those those kind of five to ten ranked coaches, if you can put them, you know, because you know the Butch Harmons, you know mm-hmm. the Hank Haney's, the Ledbetters, but these guys, are, uh, I think out of the limelight, they're able to do what they want and, and they're just pushing their plays forward. It would be a fascination to talk to one of these guys or somebody who knows about coaches and coaching methodologies because the, the two that we talked about, um, Gilchrist and McCormick, they are working with players whose games, well, they're different sexes in some cases, and their games are very different. So they are working, they seem to be working with the players and what the players have got. Whereas, you know, there are some coaches in golf and other sports, this is the way you play. Mm-hmm. You come to me, I will teach you my golf swing, and you will swing it my way. And I know that everybody works with the intricacies of the individual to a large degree, but. I wonder whether that's a that's part of the success behind the two coaches that you've talked about. Yeah, I think one of the things that I noticed when I moved to the states was how unconventional a lot of the really good female golfers' golf swings were. Um, Amanda Blumenhurst was the best player in the country. I ended up playing with her at Duke um, for four years, but she and she went on to be the most accoladed athlete of any sport of any time in the NCAA wow. while she was there, and and blew. You know, as I call her, she knows I, I adore her, but she looked like she was chopping wood for a little while there. And um, and when I met her, and she was one of the best ball strikers I'd ever seen. I never thought about swinging the club that way. And instead of fixing it or moving towards something more traditional, they embraced it. And she went from strength to strength. Paula Creamer, Natalie Golbus, another two examples of um, unconventional swings. Uh, Jim Furyk, obviously, everyone talks about on the men's side, but. Um, in America, I think they're better at swinging it the way that their body knows how to do it rather than fighting it. And we try and create ball strikers here in Australia and move towards perfect sometimes, which can be yeah, dangerous. Well, well, I spoke to Jack Newton about this a few years ago because we, we did have, in particular on the men's side, um, a, a string of players who were great ball strikers but struggled with the putter. And, and Scotty is probably the the best example, you know, of, of just an incredible swing, but uh, maybe not as, as good at putting. And we seem to have a lot of those. And Jack Newton feels that we, we focus in Australia a little bit too much on, on ball striking rather than getting in the hole. Just on Cam McCormick, and he's also coaching Sue O, mm. um, who's one of our best professionals on the LPGA now. And he's been making changes to Sue's swing, which are just starting to kick in in recent times. Well, she goes into the PGA She's Champions completely off, changed her swing. Apparently. Well, off her best result on the on the LPGA Tour. So, mm. um, you know, she's obviously got her game yeah. in 
a workable shape and um, you know, the sort of shape that might give us some sort of chance you know, this weekend. Can I um, throw up a bit of news, Andy? Yeah, I'd love you to. Yeah. Um, Golf Australia are going to announce today, and they've given us this for the podcast, uh, Channel 7 have signed a new deal to cover both the Emirates Australian Open long-term and the Australian PGA Championship. Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, they haven't... Uh, given a number of years, but it's a long-term deal apparently. I just think uh, this is fantastic. Uh, I mean, obviously they've covered it in the past, but I just think that the, the key thing is here, free-to-air. Now, you work in television, Andy. Mm. I mean, free-to-air, it's just it's such a, a blanket coverage that you get, as opposed to maybe going with uh, you know, a, a pay-to-v subscriber where you're looking at 20% of the population. No doubt. It's, so yeah, it's to be great. able to have free-to-air coverage of our best tournaments, it's, it's, it's a big thing. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, they... By and large, you know, but for a couple of years there, where ten, um, yeah. you know, had had access to the Australian Open and the PGA Championship, you know, seven has been synonymous with golf uh, domestically for a long time. Um, you know, the ABC does some great stuff in the women's game, and you know, obviously, we're appreciative of that. Um, but it's, I think, it's massive for the game. It's huge. Free it, to wear access. It is yeah. exactly, and that's you know, when when you look back to you know, what we're trying to achieve in golf at the moment. We're trying to achieve the heyday that were, that was, say, eight to ten years ago where people would get up early in the morning to watch, mm-hmm. you know, the Masters at Huntingdale and those kind of things. And, and since then it's kind of almost been swatted off mainstream um, television. And, and you know, the, the bottom line is if someone's at home on a Saturday and they turn on Channel 7 – they're going to know that golf's on, which yeah. is something different when it's on, you know, cable or whatever that you have to actually search for it. So it's right in your face and it's going to be good for the game. And the numbers, Blakey, speak for themselves. Like the last two years, the finishes we've had, you know, the Australian Open in particular, um, you know, with Spieth involved in both of them, when you get great players, you know, Rory was out here, when you get great players involved late on Sunday afternoon, they, the game still finds a really, really healthy audience on free-to-air TV. It just Absolutely. Does, there's, a, there's a hunger for it. Yep. Uh, you do need the stars there. Uh, but I'll never forget the, the Open at Royal Sydney, for instance, where McElroy reeled in Adam Scott. Mm. I mean, it, you felt like the eyes of the golfing world were actually on us again. It meant something is, again, didn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, having Spieth win two of the last three as well, uh, the Open's going really well. The PGA's obviously moved to Royal Pines and they're, they're you know, hanging in there. So uh, Jason Day has said that he wants to come down and play in Australia this year. He hasn't nominated which, which tournament. Uh, but that's going to be a great thing because we haven't seen Jason for a few years for, for various reasons. So, uh, look, really excited about this. Uh, it's great to have free-to-air coverage by a, a station that cares about the game. Yeah, and it's something that I hope that... You know, the viewers and and our listeners in this case take ownership of it because I know how cool it is. Like we had an Australian Open at my golf club and it was amazing. Mm. It was one of those, you know, moments where I'd been growing up practicing thinking about it and then I got to play in one and I was absolutely over the moon. But, uh, you know, I encourage people to take that ownership because when, you know, like you said, Blakey, that when those big moments happen in Australia, we're proud of it. Like I'm oh, proud to be a part of, you know, of the, of the golfing culture here in Australia. And, you know, I implore everyone to get on board with it. It did bring the eyes of the golfing world back to the Australian Open, as you mentioned, Blakey, as you mentioned, Blakey, and there's no doubt that the eyes of the golfing world this weekend, even though they're challenged, there's a lot of different places to be um, putting your, your gaze on a weekly basis these days, but we'll be on the women's game with the second of the majors, uh, about to get underway. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf. 
Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment, and just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day, it's Nick O'Hearn here. Whenever I get the chance, I catch up with Inside the Rope to follow up on all the latest golf, and I urge you all do the same. It's a great show. So all eyes on the uh, women's game this week, uh, Alison, of course, with the um, PGA Championship taking place at Olympia Hills. There's a few stories going into this one. New world number one and Minji Lee in cracking form. We're going to find out exactly what the, that form looks like to um, somebody who's been close to her. But um, it is, it's a big week. Well, the, the reality is that women's golf has never been as good as it is at the moment. When you look at you know, the, the tussle that we have for the world number one at the moment, along with all of the different styles of play that we're seeing in the women's game at the moment. If you haven't tuned into women's golf, chuck on the LPGA Championship uh, this week because it's it's the best we have to offer up until this point. Like you look back in history, and there's never been such a fierce fight for a championship, and the and the depth of field is just mass, massive at the moment. Absolutely, six Australians in the field this week, Andy Olympia Fields. It is, mate. Get it right, please. Olympia Hills. Actually, hills in the back of my mind. It's hosted a few uh, U.S. Open men's PGAs. Jim Furyk won a U.S. Open there. It's kind of a, a parkland course, so it'll be interesting to see. I really, I'm really hopeful for Minji. She's just had three top tens in a row. So her form is very good. She's been churning it out. Just mm. before we get to Richie Smith, um, one of the national coaches for Golf Australia, who's been spending time with Midgey for a long time, and he can tell us exactly how she's playing. How many, a question off the top of your head, how many women are there at the moment who could be number one in the world at, at any given time of their careers? In terms of the quality of their game, it could justify being the number one player on the planet. Uh, I would say anyone in t- inside the top 15 at the yes, moment yeah. is capable. Um, and of those 15, I can give you a rundown a bit later, but a couple of them have already been at least number two. So that's been the tussle in recent years, like since Lydia Ko took over dominance of the women's game. Those you know, 14 other players in the top 15 have been fighting for that number two spot. And we've got, you know, Brooke Henderson, who won last, uh, last, last mm. week. And, uh, and so on, you also in the mix. But it's great to see, you know, the topsy-turvy nature of women's golf. Because, I mean, if you're a betting person, I just stay away from the women's game yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Lydia Coe is quite interesting. She's actually off the boil by her incredibly high standards. She cha- obviously made all those changes, Ali, at the start of the season and she she hasn't actually won a tournament since July last year which for her is a complete drought. Well, it, it's uh, the warning signs and we'll we'll talk to Richie mm. Smith about this because it's um whenever a player does decide to go through that kind of renovation of their game as we've seen you know through the history of time regarding golf it comes with with some potential pitfalls. I mean, it doesn't come necessarily without a hurdle to be overcome once those changes are embarked upon. And uh, Richie Smith's been you know following the history of Minji Lee since she was a teenager and uh, continues to watch her closely. Been spending some time with her, and she goes into Olympia Fields, Blakey, uh, as one of the players to beat for the PGA Championship. Richie joins us. Uh, welcome to Inside the Ropes, Rich. Uh, good morning, Andy. Good morning, Martin. And good morning, Alison. How are you all? Hey, We're Richie. good. How good a form? Blakey mentioned the you know the the recent run of top 
um, top tens. She's had five in her last seven. One of those was caused probably going to be another top ten if she hadn't have um, been DQ'd for not signing that card. H- how good is the form that she's in? Is, that she's in, Rich. Uh, she's playing excellent. She's playing really, really good. As good as we've ever seen her. So throughout those, um, I think there's eight tournaments there. She's um, a straight average of 69 on the dot. Um, last year she was at 70 and a half. Uh, you know, I think that she'd be in the top three or four players in the world currently. Yeah, I'd have to have to agree with that, with that on current form, Richie. In terms of her game, when you look at the last couple of weeks on tour, a lot of the golf course setups have been favouring the the ball strikers. How good yeah. is is her ball striking at the moment? Well, I don't think it, her ball striking isn't the thing that's actually um, standing out at the moment. Like she's she's only seventy ninth or seventy fifth on the tour for, for for actual driving distance, and her fairways hit percentages isn't that great either. But she, what she does have is she has an innate ability to actually hit at the right length. So if you hit it the right length, then all you got to do is hit it straight, and you're going to get some free birdies. And um, the thing that really has st- stood out in the last um, little period has been her chipping from from inside 10 metres and her her wedge play from 100 to 120. And um, basically every other stat is exactly the same except for those two markers, and that's where she's made it. Richie, got to put the acid on you here. Is she ready to yep. win a major? She's had uh, tied third in the A&A Inspiration last start in a major. Mm-hmm. Previously only one top ten in a major. So it's probably been the missing link for Minji, you know, who's won tournaments over there. She's number 16 in the world. Is she ready to win a major, do you think? Oh, I think she is, yeah. I don't think there's any question she's capable. And I think that she is ready. I think um, the last... The last little period of time has been very good for her confidence. And um, the only thing that's really missing has been... Or the only thing that's really cost her has been a couple of lapses of concentration, which is a... It's a mingyism that um, <laughs> we're trying to get rid of. But I think that she is capable, and I think that she is going to go very, very close in the next couple of weeks. What what brings those on, Richie? Oh, Andy, if, if I knew, I'd probably have a better answer. But I, I honestly... I just think that's her. I think that she's, um, what we seem to forget is she's only just turned 21. Mm. Um, she's not a hard person as such. Like, she's not, she's driven, but she's not actually... Um, ruthless. Like, really ruthless. Yeah, ruthless is a really good word. I, she's not ruthless with her competition, but she's learning to be. And um, she's certainly training. We're training her in a fashion that she, there's no acceptance of poor results so and she's she's really on board with that but um once she does it uh, i think look out because she'll do it again and again do you think that you know the lack of the ruthless nature I, when i look at the the women on the lpga at the moment kari webb by far is the most cutthroat of the girls that are out there you look at suo sarah jane um sarah kemp as well and and even kat kirk to a certain degree you know, do you think because of potentially uh, the amount of women playing golf in Australia that affects how hard they have to work for their wins in their amateur game, so that by the time they potentially get to the pro ranks, they're they're a little bit blown away by the, <laughs> the ruthless nature of everyone else on the LPGA. Um, I think there's a little bit of that. I also think that as a as a group, we look after them very well, 
and they're not that well looked after in other countries. And I think to a certain extent we've actually spoiled them. So, um, yeah, you look at the kids that are coming out of Asia, they're given pretty much nothing and they're made to earn it. Certainly Korea, um, you know, there's a lot of competition there and only the, the competitive beasts really come out of that system and, and once they're that competitive, it's, you know, they're very well well equipped to perform at any stage. So, yes, I, I do think there's a little bit of that, but I also think that we've um, almost spoiled them to a certain extent. When you talk about the, the KLPGA in particular, a lot of people at home don't realise the structure that they have in place is the reason why those players are so good. They've got three different levels of tour. Um, mm-hmm. They have the, you know their entry-level part, which is actually a mixture of pros and good amateurs, and that's televised. So even their lowest level of tour is televised, and they've got the Dream Tour as well, and that's kind of you know the, the intro to KLPGA. So by the time a lot of the players get to the main tour, they've really earned their, earned their stripes, and and, you know, is that something that potentially we can adopt and look at, you know, our homegrown events and, and give the girls as, as much of a, a fierce competition so that they're prepared? Because, you know, currently we have to send them overseas really to do that. Uh, I don't think we're ready for that. I think that until we get some numbers playing, um, we're going to, we're always going to be behind the eight ball in that regard. You know, Perth, for example, um, we, we do a pretty good job with our female golfers over here. Um, we have we would have less than 50 kids playing the game with a handicap. Mm, so, um, you know, until you get that, that base of the pyramid really, really wide and strong, you're never going to have as much strength at the top. You know, we're, we're very lucky that we've had some really good athletes come through and um, fairly driven individuals. But, um, you know... I think that until we get grassroots golf at a higher participation rate, we're always going to struggle. Richie, I spoke to you last year about Minji, and you used the expression her business. She did, she, you felt that she didn't have her business quite in order as well as it should be, and I think you were referring there to, you know, probably caddy, living arrangements, just, you know, the things that go on off the course that, that allow you to prepare to play a professional tournament. Has she improved that area, and is she settled in that area? really settled. So last year she was living out of a hotel basically the whole year. Now she has a house uh, in Dallas. Um, she's had family with her all year. And um, the family being with her has been really beneficial for her. She also has got... You know, there was, there's things that a 19-year-old at the time didn't really know about, like actually running a business, you know. I've got to keep my receipts. I've got to, I've got to keep... Um, I've got to do my laundry. I've got to do all this and all that. And... Um, yeah, she's on top of that now. Um, I think she's running actually a really strong business now, Blakey. I think, mm. um, yeah, it's really turned around. And what's it like to coach her? Uh, given that I saw a survey last year of other players and they rate her swing as the best on tour, pretty much. Do you have to do anything? Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I don't, think, I don't think she's got the best swing on tour. I think there's weaknesses. So, um, oh, okay. And if I, if I didn't think there was weaknesses, then I'd have a pretty boring job. Yeah. Well, there's obviously more I than hope, the swing, isn't there? I'm, I'm being facetious. I hope she's not yeah. listening the night before a major as well. <laughs> to you, Richie. Well, yeah, but she'd know. The good thing about coaching her is that um, she likes the truth. So um, honesty doesn't hurt in this case. Gee, that helps. Um, yeah, look, it does. It does. She's not sensitive about anything. So, um, yeah, she's really honest about her performance and how she moves and, and stuff. So... Yeah, Blakey, look, it's um, it's an honour to coach her. Like she's 
she's a tough competitor. She's a tough kid, and um, she works really, really hard. Yes, she swings it pretty good. There's lots of room for improvement, but I think um, the good thing about her is that we can take a statistical look at, at where she is, and we can target those areas, and we know that that we'll get a result in those areas. Like the areas that we talked about earlier, with her um, inside 10 meter chipping and her her 10 to uh, sorry her 100 to 120 meter wedge play were two areas that were real focus, and they were not good maybe for the first third of the year, and now they're the best parts of the game. And that's you know if you've got students like that, it makes it really easy for you to, to go forward. Last one before we let you go, Richie. The, you yep. mentioned her games in good nick, and um, you know we know about the golf course. Does her game suit that layout? Is it a, is it a good match? Do you think? The heart, look, we've always said with Minji, the heart of the golf course, the better it's going to be for her, because she is she's a quality player. She's got real um, assets in every part of her game. Like she doesn't have one thing that stands out. She has, you know, she's sort of like an A minus at everything, and that's. That's perfect for um, for major golf, but probably more importantly, she's not afraid. So if she gets into that situation where she's got a chance of winning, I think that she'll um, I think that she'll be really really hard to beat. Mate, we're hoping so. You spent a lot of time with her. You've known her for a long, long, long time, and you've seen her game and you know her, her as a human being emerge and develop over the journey. And she's got herself obviously in the sort of nick that has her one of the front liners going into the PJ Championship this week. We wish. Her and everybody um, involved with her, all the very best. Thanks for having a chat to us on Inside the Ropes. Thanks, guys. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. If Minji Lee's going to win the PGA Championship, she's got a mountain of player talent in front of her, and so Yon Yu is one of them who she's going to have to get over the line of. We're about to speak to Tom Watson, who's carrying her bag at the moment, has done for a couple of years. Before we get to Tom, you've been watching her closely, Alison. How how good is her game at the moment? Oh, she's one of those players that if she if she has a good putting week, she'll win. It's just that easy. The, the equation is pretty simple with Soyeon, and and you know, further more than that, she is an exceptional human being. She yes. is graceful, elegant. Whenever she meets you, she looks you directly in the eye. She cares what you have to say. And that is probably the thing that really sets her apart from almost every other athlete, let alone just golfers. And um, I know that Tom can attest to uh, what what kind of person she is. Well, there's an Australian flavour. If she does salute, um, there's an Australian flavour to her because um, veteran looper and a man who knows you know what everything you need to know about the game of golf from a playing perspective and, of course, a course design perspective is Tom Watson. And not the Tom Watson, not eight majors Tom Watson, the Australian Tom Watson who's been good enough to join us on the eve of uh, the PGA Championship. Tom, thanks for joining us on Inside the Ropes. Yeah, no problem, Andy. All good. Thank you. You just heard Alison kind of giving a um, character reference about So Yon. Um, has she got it sort of on the on the button? Yeah, I, I, 
I think I've met some amazing people in my life, and I think uh, Sion is by far uh, one of the most amazing people I've ever met. She's uh, it never ceases to amaze me how good she is with everybody, treats everybody the same. Um, Pro am, she's beyond exceptional. You know, <laughs> we play with some seriously annoying pro am players, and <laughs> she still finds a way. She still finds a way to you know be nice to them, and and nothing's fake. Everything's genuine. Giving them lessons what they do for work, all the things, and having a laugh and high-fiving. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's thrilling. She's, uh, she's an incredible person. I've learned a lot from her. Yeah, it's one of those things uh, where often the nice guys finish last, and it, and it hasn't been the case in women's golf for the last, you know, two two years at least with lids at the top. And now uh, you've had a pretty pretty interesting weekend, haven't you, Tom? Do you want to talk to us about what's happened? <laughs> yeah, I guess... Um Ah, uh, it was just all a bit of a blur, I guess. I mean, she had before that tournament, she she missed the cut and uh, finished uh, outside the top ten for the first time in the event the uh, two weeks before that at the Volvic Championship, and she was a bit, uh, uh, you know, a bit out of it, and even told me told me that she was wasn't motivated to play golf, and uh, so I suggested that she take two weeks off, so we we didn't play the minor tournament, and and uh, turn up to Walmart, and basically she was ready to go. She um, was right into her practice, and she was swinging great, and and she was holding the putts, and uh, you know, it just she seemed happy, and I was like, wow, okay, this is good. And she was always loved that course. She's played very well there. She lost in a playoff to India there in 2013. I think she was top ten nearly every other time, and um, she was just ready from the get go. And that 61 on the on the second day, you know, she made it look like she was you know, peeling potatoes just in the kitchen. It was just easy. Just, everything was just very easy to her, so it was good fun. Yeah, I said uh, that was my, my highlight of what, last week was that 61, but you look, she's had eight top tens, uh, I think in her last 11 finishes, and then she went miscut 56 and then and then a win. So quite quite yep. an incredible season so far. But along with that win, she also uh, got the top of the pack, the world number one spot. She put her hand up. Yeah, well, that was interesting how we found out the news for that too. Actually, that night after she won, we were at um, we were at dinner at the Ruth Chris's, and she was buying for everyone. And Imbi Park was there. Um, Imbi's husband, Brad, her caddy, um, Sion's mum. Hang on, mate. You're uh, saying that you coach. didn't know? You didn't know as you walked off the course? No, had no idea. We're world number one. Absolutely no idea. Yeah, um, obviously they had to. You know, had a bit of time to try and you know. She jumped from three, didn't she? She jumped yeah, from she three. Jumped from three. Mm. Yep. But the proje- projections yeah, have been wrong on the women's side a couple of times in the last, you know, three or four weeks. Yeah. They've had projected yeah, switches that, that didn't end up that coming about. Me on the LPGA. <laughs> so, so anyway, you were out for dinner <laughs> in B Park, yep. and what happened? Uh, well, actually, well, I got a text message from another a fellow player, and um, and she had told me, I think you guys are world number one. And I was like, really? And she said, yeah. And I was like, you know, I dropped a few expletives in there, like we know what it would have been, and I thought, no, that can't be right. And, and then um, then she sent through a message about uh, that there, and it was official. And I just turned to Sion. She's on the other side of the table. I said, Sion? She goes, what? I said, you're world number one. And she said, really? I said, yep. She goes, shut up, you're joking, and then went back to her wine. I said, no, I'm not joking. And... Um, <laughs> Finally, finally, sort of twigged and realised for the first time in my life I actually was serious, and uh, we just got up off the table and yeah, and 
just we uh, had a good hug and talked about it, and it was it was uh, it was a good emotional moment, especially you know in front of um, Brad, who's been a great mate of mine, and and Imbi, who's her best friend. It was it was incredible timing, really. How big a deal was it for her, Tom? I mean, that, that's a that's a that's an unbelievable kind of bombshell to have delivered, um, you know, to you when you're not expecting it. Um, you know, is it something that she yep. coveted? Is it is it something that you know she you could see her for the rest of the night? It was kind of rolling around the back of her head. Well, she, yeah, it was. It was you definitely see that. Normally, she's very sort of uh, poised and everything. This one, she was you know she was struggling to make that eye contact that, that Ali was talking about before. She was it was wandering all over the place. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know she should get excited. There was um, there was obviously the shock involved and. Um, you know, so it was. It all sort of happened very quickly for her, and I don't think it really sunk in until the next day, because uh, the next day she was actually, you know, she was quite emotional um, with me in the car park at the <laughs> at the, the tournament this week. So it was. Uh, it, it didn't really sort of happen until I think the uh, the wine had got out of her system that night, and yeah, she was right. able to sober up and work it out. How's she going to go, uh, you know, and both of you, emotions-wise, for those of you at home that don't know, there is a ce- there's a, a ceremony of the changing of the bib and uh, the world number one gets a green bib that says Rolex, you know, world number one. And I think it even comes, I think it comes in a case, doesn't it, Tom, where they bring it to oh, the first team no and they change, no and they change it. I'm actually hoping the green will make my chest look bigger, so I'll <laughs> be decent on it. It's not but, slimming, uh, so you'll be fine. I haven't really thought about it. But... <laughs> I haven't really thought about it, to be honest. I, just, I guess it'll probably happen, you know, when I get to the tea tomorrow and just take it from there. And I, I don't know if you know, but it's actually Sion's birthday tomorrow, too. Wow. So it's going to be a very, very special moment, I think. It does bring... Like I think you do. I wonder whether you do have to deal with it though, Tom. Like, do you need to? Because you know, we've heard stories from you know players in you know certainly golf and in other sports around the world who have assumed that mantle, and then they re- they think they've got to be different. They they it's a different pressure that comes, you know, upon them being the number one player in the world. Is that something that you think you're going to have to you know address with So Yon, or, or will she be able to kind of just take that in her stride? Well, to be honest, I think she'll handle it fine with the golf. The thing that probably worries me a little bit is because she's so nice and wants to be friendly with everyone, I know she's going to get a lot of attention and, and people are going to keep coming up to her in practice rounds and those sorts of stuff. And she'll want to give everyone, you know, her time. And I think that's going to be the hardest thing. I think she might get exhausted with all the constantly trying to, you know, be nice and do the right thing. That That's probably the thing that I know that I'll have to keep an eye on. I think in regards to her golf, um, you know, she loves golf so much that um, she focuses the moment she gets on that tee and she's, nothing distracts her. So my opinion, I think she'll be fine with that, but uh, it's just all the media and, and her ability you know, with, with people and how she handles that is going to be my issue, I think. Tom, uh, Soyon's been down to Australia a few times, but not so much. I think she might have missed the uh, Women's Open the last two years, which was a bit of a surprise to yeah. us because she loves it down here. I've spoken to her about it before. She lo- even loves Vegemite, would you believe? Uh, <laughs> she's got an Australian, Australian caddy, Australian coach. Can you convince her to come down to Adelaide early next year? For Can you do some yeah, work I'm for us sure. there? Yeah, I'm, I'm 90% sure she's going to come this year. Well, next year, I should say. So uh, it hasn't worked the last couple of years purely because she changed coach 
and it didn't fit in with her schedule, and she wanted. She my was time previously to Ian Triggs. Yeah. Swing changes. Ian Triggs was, you know, yes. Queenslander. Yeah. Uh, over to Cam yeah, McCormick. So she, yeah. Yeah, and also, um, yeah, she's, been, Cam, so she's been working with Ian Baker Finch too, hasn't she? Yes. Yeah, she works with Ian Baker Finch with putting, and uh, she actually played a game with Ian Baker Finch and Nick Price uh, the week before she won at Walmart, and I think that really helped her. I think they sort of talked to her and about a few things, and because she was definitely motivated when she came to that tournament. Listening to you talk about her, um, Tom, we could probably spend an hour, we could probably dedicate the entire podcast to you and your journey through golf and what you've done and the people you've worked with, but we do have a regular contributor to Inside the Rose by the name of Mike Clayton, um, and I know you've had, I know you have worked with Clates in the past. The way that you've been speaking so glowingly about um, So Yon, would you say the same sorts of things about Clates? Uh, I haven't got enough um, relaxing pills in my body at the moment to say something nice about Clayton. I think I need about 15,000 Panadols to say something good about him. But, uh, no, no, no. He's... <laughs> Obviously, Michael Clayton's language is the best aspect of his golf. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, he's... Clayton's obviously been a legend. He's been fantastic for Sion too. So, uh, you know, he's really been able to give his insight and and his experience to say on, and I really thank him so much for that. So, but uh, yes, slightly two different players. There. <laughs> yes, sounds like it. Tom, I, I love your uh, Twitter handle, Eight Majors, uh, given that your name is Tom Watson. Uh, tell us what happens when you uh, when you ring up a golf club and book a tea time, and you say it's Tom Watson on the line. <laughs> what actually happens with that? Uh, yeah, well, I did have a one instance that was about uh, 15 years ago, and it was actually the, the last time I ever phoned up a golf club. But I rang up, and I was actually trying to find my tea time for a, the Vic Open qualifier. And I rang up and said, oh, I need to get my tea time for the choir of Tom Watson. They said, mate, we don't need any prank calls. They just hung up on me. And then I rang up again, tried to do the same thing. I got some abuse from the other line. <laughs> I couldn't, uh, so I ended up having to ring the Victorian Golf Association to get my seat on, so I could play. <laughs> so, uh, but since then, I emailed the golf courses. Like, now I've, I've got a big interest in playing, um, you know, some of the famous courses in the world. I've got a, you know, I'm a big keen architecture nuts. So, my first thing I do when I email a, a golf club is, as I say, you know, my name's Tom Watson, and then I put in brackets, no, I'm not the five-time <laughs> British Open, or no, I'm not the eight-time major champion, and then it's, it seems to flow okay from there. So let me ask you, before we do let you go, let me ask you the impossible question to answer then for somebody who's you know, got the kind of passion and interest in courses and design and the history of places like you clearly have. If you're going to play one golf course for the rest of your life, what one would it be? Uh, Cypress Point. There you go. Mm. Why? Cypress Point, California. Well, it's such a great routing. You know, you know it starts off. Uh, it's a quite an easy sort of start, and then it goes into the, you know, into the sort of the sand dunes, and then goes into the pine trees, and then it comes back and finishes in the ocean. And you've got a, a great variety of, uh, you know, short par fours and, and obviously long par threes, like the 16th over the water. And I think it, uh, I think it constantly keeps you interested. And there's nothing like a golf course that constantly keeps you interested, both in, the, you know, the views and, and the strategy of the game. So I think that's why I could, I could play there for the rest of my life. Uh, mate, I, I, 
we've, I'm sure we've only scratched the surface, but um, one of these days we'll have to get you in the studio when you're back in town. We'll uh, we'll have a long, long, long chat to you about your time in golf. Good luck with your player um, at Olympia Fields this weekend. Hopefully it's a, a fantastic weekend for you. And so, Jan, thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, no problem, mate. Great time. Thanks, guys. And, um, yeah, catch up with you soon. Good on you. Tom Cheers, Watson, Tom. who's catting the number one player in the world, and she goes Character. in. Yeah, I, well, you said, I mean, you, we've, I've never had the fortune of um, meeting you, but you said that we'll love having a chat to this fella, <laughs> and we could talk you. Clearly, you could bowl up any golf question with a man like him, and he's going to have a, an opinion or an answer to it all. He sounds like a beauty. Yeah, it's one of the luxuries we have, I think, with Inside the Ropes he, is – you know, showing the characters of, of golf because he's one of the biggest contributors to women's golf behind the scenes and barely anyone back here would know his name. Mm. And he's been a huge part of of encouraging a lot of the young Aussie pros out there as well. Um, Brad Beach is another one who caddies for MB Park. Um, so he walked away with a gold medal earlier yeah. this year and he was pretty stoked about it. But those two blokes have really been a big part of Australian golf behind the scenes. And just being called Tom Watson and being involved in golf, <laughs> it, just, it just reminds me of uh, Gary... Edwin, who's a very well-known Queensland golf coach, coach of Peter Senior, used to coach Peter Lonard. His real name is Gary Player. And, uh, you know, he changed it because it was causing so much confusion and everything else. So, uh, yeah, Tom Watson, it's funny, isn't it? It's great. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch a golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Hey, it's Jeff Ogilvy. I can't be in Australia very often, but I love keeping up with everything on Inside the Rope podcast. Good bunch of guys, and I love listening. We've already spent a lot of time talking about uh, the development of um, golf uh, in Australia and some of the young players are doing some amazing things around the um, planet at the moment. And via Golf Australia as High Performance Director and his team at GA, there's an unbelievable opportunity for so many of the young players with this national camp that's taking place over in the United States in about two or three weeks' time. Brad James is that man, and he's been good enough to join us on the show. Um, good to see you on Inside the Ropes. Thanks for finally coming in. Thank you for having me. You're a very elusive man. Hey, tell us about this camp. This I, I had Matty Cutler, one of your great colleagues, um, and a man who's told me that without him, your operation couldn't work. He sent me the um, the format of this seven or eight or maybe nine day uh, camp that you've got over in the states. It looks amazing. What an opportunity for these young players who are going to be participating in it. Yeah, thanks, Andy. It's a it's a great opportunity for all our young athletes to participate. The camp's been going in its this is the seventh year that we've been doing the camp. The camp will take place in the Woodlands facility in Texas, uh, in Houston. Like I said, it's the seventh year of the camp, and the kids that we've been getting down there, you know, you've got kids that are the age of 13, 14, but you've got athletes coming in that are the Minji Lee quality type athletes. Uh, Todd Sinnott's coming in. So it's a great opportunity to check in uh, with their games, whether it be technically, physically, emotionally. 
Just an opportunity to talk Aussie. Uh, yeah. A lot of the kids haven't seen an Australian for, for quite a while. They just want to come in and, and talk Aussie, talk footy, talk cricket, whatever it be. They just want to get around the Aussies and play golf, hang out. Go to the go to the pool, but really just check in. Do they? I notice there's like multiple sessions on every day as part of the itinerary of the thing. Do the players who come opt in and out of whatever sessions they, you know, think are going to be most beneficial to them, or once you're there, is it kind of compulsory that you participate in everything that's kind of on the agenda? Yeah, it's a great question. We've set the camp up so the athletes come in and try to take care of what they need to take care of. And that may ba- that be something physically, it may be something technically, but it's basically what their needs are. There's nothing compulsory about the camp. They check in when they need to check in uh, and they depart when they want to depart. So really it, we're there to provide a platform for them. Um, but more so it's the culture that we create. You've got athletes there, that, like I said before, that are very young that are very inexperienced, but then you've got athletes like Minji Lee or Todd Sin who have had incredible experience, and the athletes can go out and play golf together, they can train together, they can work together, and they can also socialise together, and it's a great culture for our sport. Probably what... Oh, you go on. Yeah, I'm going to ask Alison about this, but you go, Blakey. Brad, uh, you just mentioned Minji, who's playing in uh, in a, a, a women's major this weekend, and uh, we talked to Richie Smith earlier about this. Uh, he thinks that she's, she's ready to win one. Um, Tell us a little bit about your history with Minji, who came through our programs and the Golf WA programs. I've heard legendary stories about her lifting of weights, for instance, and stuff like that. I mean, she's she's a brute with the weights and an amazing sort of driven player, isn't she? Look, it's been a really fun journey. Obviously, when you get an athlete that gets to that elite level, the top 15 in the world, She's accomplished so much in the sport at such a young age. You know, Minji's been in our program since she was 13 years old. Uh, and what she's been through, the, the, the dedication, not only from herself, but also the, the individuals around her, her entire team, Richie Smith, her strength and conditioning coach, her physio, and she's taken advantage of those opportunities. But more importantly, she's really worked hard. Uh, and the fruits of her labor over the last five, six years have really shown. And hopefully, you know, she gets out there and wins a major. I was interested in a lot, like everything that Richie said was really interesting. But he did say one thing, and it was just a word he used on the way through when comparing the Australian golfers to um, athletes coming from other parts of the world. And he said, maybe they're a bit spoiled. Maybe they're a bit spoiled. And I don't reckon he necessarily meant that in a negative sense, which it can often be used that way. But I think he probably meant... You know, we give them so much support, you know, um, that the transition into the business of being a professional golfer internationally might be a challenging one for them. Do you, when you, when you hear someone say that, do you know what they mean? Do you take that on board? Yeah, we certainly take that on board. And I think there is a fine balance in there. There's a fine balance of giving the athlete too much, but also having the athlete learn how to be autonomous. You know, one thing that we try to do is, just a small example, is organize a tournament themselves. And a lot of time, as an association, you do everything from them, booking their flights, booking their accommodation, everything. What we try to do is give them the actual funds. You're still funding them, but you're having them organize the entire process. And I think that's a great way, a great way for them to make mistakes. You want them to make mistakes, yeah. and in the long run, they actually learn from it. And that, look, there's been many mistakes on the way, which is exactly what we're trying to create, but they learn quickly. Hopefully, they learn quickly. But they've got to be autonomous out there. They've got to have that ownership in what they're doing, and that's a culture we're trying to create with these young athletes coming through the system. Yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it, where um, it's something that you see a lot in college athletes in the States as well, where those players go into a team for four years and then they come out of that team and they have no idea how to take care of themselves. And, and back in the day before 
you know, the likes of Matt Cutler and Brad James when the high performance unit was run a little bit differently and, and we didn't have the resources that we have been given to the generation of Minji and, and Sue O, we had to book all of our own stuff. Yeah. So we were actually learning. So by the time I turned professional, I actually felt really um, capable of doing that. And, and it's been you know, in that the last six, seven, eight years where the massive changes that have happened, um, you know, have bred so much talent. But then, you know, I think the best thing that GA are trying to achieve is teaching them how to keep the structure once they turn pro. So it's not just this huge drop off where you have all of this help and then you have nothing when you turn pro because the reality is, and I, and I know that, you know, Stace Keating and well, Peters would agree with me that um, we have the best development program in the world. I'm comfortable saying that. Um, the only difference between us and the States in my belief is the college program, which right. is like a mini tour in itself. But uh, the work that the GA have done is spectacular. And so not to take away anything from that. And I know that Richie didn't mean to do that, but the whole thing is it's, a, it's always evolving. So the fact that they're even thinking about making them do their own bookings now is yeah. just how next level it's turned into. You talk about mistakes, and Brad will, Brad will have a giggle about this. Cameron Smith turned up to the – you know, Cameron Smith's one of our best players, obviously, now on the US PGA Tour. He turned up a day late to uh, the PGA Tour tour school. He thought it started on a Thursday, correct, Brad? And so he turned up on the Thursday. That was day two of the <laughs> – so, you know, he then had to ring Brad – and tell him that he'd missed the tour school. Is that correct? That was an interesting phone call. I remember yeah. the day uh, he missed his tea time by two days. And um, we had provided some funding for him for that particular event. And he called up and I, I think he asked if we could, he could still use that funding for that event. And I just said, mate, look, we can look at other opportunities, but this is one that's going to come out of your pocket. Uh, you know, obviously Cameron's gone on to bigger and better things and I'm sure he's grown up, which, which he has. Mm. Uh, but look, those are just some small examples, but you want the athletes to learn uh, and be autonomous, like I said before. Uh, it is their own journey and they have control of their own journey. Who, who, who gets selected to, or invited to come along to these camps, uh, like the one we're talking about over in the States? Look, if they're an Australian athlete, in the U.S., we want to provide that opportunity for them and for that platform for them. So you'll get athletes, like I said, that are 13, 14, but you've got athletes that are also professionals that are over there. If they're an Australian athlete, we want to help them. Uh, we also do – So Jeff Ogilvie wanted – if he saw some benefit in this. He's know. welcome. Yep. He's certainly welcome. And we do have some athletes from other countries that come in, whether it be from Argentina, Japan, or Korea. And the reason why we don't – we like to invite those athletes, we like to learn from them as well. Yeah. Um, it's a learning environment, whether it be the athletes, but also for the coaches to learn from other countries. We're all trying to learn from each other so we can get better. How – can I ask you, if you, this had been accessible to you – how beneficial? I, I did go to one. Oh, you did go yeah, to one? Oh, okay. Yeah, as part of the – but I was already a professional at the time. Okay, right. So now it's, you know, the amateurs are going and learning from the pros as well, which is the best the best way you can do it. And when – you know, you mentioned Jeff Ogilvie. Um, when I was there, Steve Elkington came out. And I can tell you that, you know, he, he hung around for most of the day and some of the things he talked about were next level. Like after a lifetime of golf, encouraging someone who's 24 years old to think that way was – it was just mind blowing. And so, you know, I implore like Stace has done with the Vic teams for, for pros around the world to start, you know, just investing, not necessarily money, but even just two hours of their time to come down because we take so much away from that as players. You reckon Steve Elkington to go with the young crop get a few, days, get a few laughs. That's for sure. Getting um, along, just with the mobile phones at the front door, <laughs> just, you know, no social media type just stuff. Be careful of the Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
Brad, uh, what's the? This is a broad brush question, but what's the level of talent in Australian golf at the moment? At the kind of uh, lower amateur, you know, the the lower level at that sort of teen to twenty year old level. Because Andy's got this favourite hashtag uh, <laughs> golden era, is it? That's yeah, yeah. Uh, he thinks it's absolutely awesome. Do you do you well, think Dylan it's, Perry went okay good? on the weekend, didn't he? Well, he certainly did. Yeah. Apart from the last you know, half hour of the yeah. the amateur, but yeah, I mean, is it is is, is as high as the we think it is? Yeah, it is. Look at the the male end. We do have a nice group of young athletes coming through. Uh, we do have quite a few athletes coming through. Even at the 13, 14, we have some really nice ones coming through at the underpinning levels. Where we must do a better job is with the female athletes. We have some incredible female athletes out there now. We've got, you know, obviously Minji and Sue and Hannah are leading that core core group, but we've got to do a better job at the underpinning level, whether it be at the my golf level, whether it be at the swing fit level in the schools, we've got to get more females playing the game. Uh, so our depth at the elite level is higher. So that way we've got more opportunity to go out there and win majors and Olympic medals. And one of the realities of that, and it's an easy segue for us to make, one of the realities to make that happen is to have funding available so you can do the job properly. And I know the Australian Sports Commission's um, funny allocations have recently come out. Uh, I don't want to put any words in your mouth at all, Brad, but how did golf fare when it came to the divvying up of funds from the AAC? Look, our allocation over the last uh, many years has been just under a million dollars, and that million dollars provides us resources for coaching, service provision, international travel. And look, does the money... That doesn't go very far. It doesn't go very far. It is, it's nice to receive that funding, but I think where the funding model uh, is, where the funding model is flawed is that the criteria is primarily based around how you perform at the Olympics. And the Olympics, as we know, is every two weeks of every four years. And as you know, golf is played all around the world every week. So our athletes are out there performing with the Australian flag every week. And the Australian government need to take notice of that. Uh, we receive a million dollars a year, which isn't a lot of money. It's so- a joke, mate. I, I know you can't, you don't, can't use this sort of language, but... Uh, Allison or Blakey, feel free to weigh well, in. Give, us a, give given, us a comparison, Brad. What, give us some other sports. Oh, one comparison would be look, I'm certainly not trying to bag those sports. No, no, not I'm at just all. trying not to give all. you an idea of how other sports are funded. Uh, Canoeing is a great example where they receive $4.7 million annually. Uh, so if you look over a four year period, that's nearly $15 million in that four year period. They're providing more to canoeing than the sport of golf. And the funding model needs to change so our sport is respected at the level that it needs to be respected. Uh, another example would be a sport like uh, shooting. You know, shooting receives just over $2 million a year. So over a four-year period, that's $4 million they receive more than our sport. There's more to sport than two weeks of every four years. I agree the Olympics is a phenomenal opportunity for our sport. It showcases our sport like nothing other. But our sport is showcased every week, and the government need to start respecting that and showing that. Anyone else want to add anything to that? Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of the sports that Brad's just mentioned, um, some of them take time off. Um, it's a joke. They, you know, and, and joke. they start training towards towards the Olympics when it's needed, whereas that obviously doesn't happen in golf. We're, we're doing it literally 
some players I know the most they'll ever take off during the year is two weeks. Others might take a month over Christmas, but two days feels like a lot of time for your golf swing sometimes when you're playing as much as, as we professionals do. So, uh, yeah, something to consider as well as how many people actually play the sport. I don't know if that's a factor. Look, it should be, absolutely should be a factor, not only at the elite level, but at the grassroots level. And with all due respect to kayakers or shooters, you know, it is only once, it's a week. Every four years, absolutely with all due respect to their sports, the people in Australia give a tinker's cuss about what they're doing. No one tunes in for the rest of the time. Blake, you've been covering sport for a long time. You've been at Olympic Games. You know this is a truth. Yeah. Golf, we have got Australians at elite level of all ages, of both sexes, flying the flag every single week. Every single week. In and all corners of the globe, totally, it's a totally joke. international sport. So therefore, joke. the funding that you receive, you, you obviously need it to travel. You've got to go away to places. You know, like the the best amateur players right now. You know, Dylan Perry's mm. just been over to play the British Amateur. It costs money to get people to these events. So it's no different to some of the other sports, I guess, in that sense. But it's expensive. Mm. It, it, it surprises me that the funding's so low for golf. I think it's a bit of an oversight that's been there. You know, golf's just come back into the Olympics. So, you know, maybe it's, it's something that I think, Brad, I think you need to keep hammering away there. Yeah, look, we've certainly showed our frustration over the many years. But I think what we need now, it's come to a point where our elite athletes of the sport, the Minji Lees, the Curry Webbs, the Jeff Ogilvies, the Adam Scott, the Jason Days, they need to voice their concerns on what the government is doing for our sport. And the disrespect that they're receiving by not showing the majors and the championships that they play every week is not being recognized. Like I said, the Olympics is a phenomenal opportunity for our sport and every other sport, but there's more than it, than just every two weeks of every four years. Well, we need to tap on the shoulder of, with all due respect to Hendy and Fraz in the men's and, you know, well, Sue and Minji, you can't get a better team than that in the women's. We need to get we need to get a gold medal hanging around someone's neck as soon as possible. That If that's what the AAC recognizes and that's what they value – um, then that's what's got to happen. You know, as simple as that. So uh, I think you've made your point really well. Thanks for coming in and being part of the show. And good luck over in the States. If you ever get one at Ban and Junes, I'm happy to carry bags. I'll pay my way. I'll clean shoe, golf shoes at the end of the day. Whatever it takes, I'll be there. And we've got so many members of the Matt Cutler fan club, it might be hard to get in. Oh, blimey, it will be too. Uh, Brad James, uh, High Performance Director of Golf Australia, joining us on Inside the Ropes. G'day guys, it's Ryan Russell here. And I'm a long way from home, playing on the Latin America Tour and living in the US, but I keep up with all my Australian golf while listening Inside the Ropes. Any opportunity you get to see golf played over in the UK or further north, uh, you take advantage of it. You, the British Amateur was in Kent. Uh, did either of you catch up with any of it on the telly, the cut-down highlights that were running around on Fox Sports? I saw a little bit of the maybe the semi-finals mm. or the quarter-finals, yeah. How much would you love to get that entire event somehow? Tell, I don't know whether it does get full sort of coverage. Does it get full coverage over in... In the UK? No, well, not not since I've been yep. around in golf, at least. So um, I know a lot of them, a lot of the, the, you know, the Curtis Cups and those kind of things, they do a shortened highlights program, which yeah. I think is probably the way forward for um, a lot of amateur golf, just to get the sponsorship on, you know, early doors for uh, a lot of those players so that people already know their names by the time they turn pro. I think eight, was it eight Australians got through the mm. into the um, knockout sort of playoffs, uh, the um, match play the 32. The 32. Yeah. So eight got through, and we had one standing. Cometh the final, Dylan Perry got his got all the way through to the final, which was awesome an unbelievable effort. achievement. Awesome effort to get through to the final, Andy. You know, just kept kept going through. And uh, 
the final, he's four up with five to play. Yeah, he's, he must uh, be kicking himself. You know, you're talking about a spot in the Masters, a spot yep. in the US Open, a spot, spot in the Open Championship. Uh, it was interesting, he, he fell away, bogeyed the last three holes, then double bogeyed the second playoff hole. So he loses at the 38th uh, hole to Harry Ellis of England. But he spoke afterwards about how he'd, he'd got nervous. So the, the greatest news about all that is that he's, he's woken up today and Shot sixty six in the European Amateur, so spot on. He's, uh, caught you know, up. he's bounced back. I mean, it, it's just perspective, isn't it, Ali? I mean, every golfer has fallen away and, and and lost an event that they maybe should have won. There's not one that hasn't done that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot a long list of players that lost five tournaments before they even looked mm. like winning winning one tournament. So, um, hopefully, you know, he, he takes on board all of the good things from the week. It's what you've got to do, and then you address the bits that you know you can do better. Which is one of the things that we don't talk about enough especially in the finals, um, under that kind of pressure, that is, it's, it's a major week for a pro. It yep. is almost similar in terms of for an amateur. Um, it's one of the mm-hmm. biggest titles you can ever win. And so he's learnt so much about himself this week and it's only going to make him stronger. Well, time uh, challenges made it impossible for us to speak to uh, Dylan Perry, but our great mates Daniel Harford and Adam White from the Breakfast Club at RSN caught up with a young Aussie. G'day, it's Daniel Harford with Adam White from RSN 927's Breakfast Club in Melbourne. Great to be part of the Inside the Ropes team. We've been able to track down Dylan Perry, who last week took the silver medal at the Amateur Championship in the UK and today has shot a first round 66-6 under in the European Amateur Tournament. It's been good enough to join us. G'day, Dylan. G'day guys, how are you going? We are very well, thank you. Appreciate your time. Now, silver medal sounds terrific. Um, how does it sit with you after what happened there at Royal St George's last weekend? Uh, it, it's obviously a bit gutting, mate. Um, you know, obviously, it's a, it's a big disappointment, but um, you know, you just look at the positives out of it and uh, just try and roll over into this week. I've got another chance this week to qualify for the Open, so um, you know, we just. Uh, Put our game face on this week and uh, see what happens. Going into the the amateur championship um, over there at Royal St George's, what were your expectations? Because for those that don't know, you had uh, you're in the final against Harry Ellis and ended up losing that in the 38th hole, so second playoff hole after a 36 hole showdown. Uh, what were your expectations going th- into that tournament? Um, you know, it was I had some high expectations uh, last year. It was my first time over and I finished top 16, so um, I definitely. You know, I had a high expectations of myself being the first time and and getting to the top sixteen. So I didn't put too much pressure on myself. I just I just played how I always play and just stayed patient and ended up getting to the final, um, which I was stoked with. But obviously, there wasn't the result I was after. But you know, still a positive week for me and uh, a good way to keep going forward. Only two people have ever won the Amateur Championship from an Australian point of view, so it was an incredible achievement just to make the final. Um, are you, have you dwelled on it? Have you has it sort of have you lost sleep over what happened in the end? Because I mean, I want to sort of celebrate the fact that you got through to the final, but to be four up with five to play, how difficult was that to sort of come to terms with? Um, you know, like it's played on my mind. Like it still plays on my mind now, but um, I just see it as you know you. You either you come out better out of it, or you know you dwell on it and you stay in the past. So for me, it's it's you know look to the bright side of things and, and go look. I got another chance this week. So you know I'll still lose a bit of sleep, you know, over time. But you know you just got to let it go and, and keep moving forward. I was tracking your progress uh, through that that final eighteen holes just just on, on the internet and. Um, there was a couple of moments where you had a bit of bad luck and your opponent had a lot of good luck. Can you share a, 
a couple of those moments with us? Uh, yeah, you know, that's just golf. Um, you know, one example, he was a uh, par four over the hill type thing. Anyway, he's uh, he's kind of carved it a bit right, and he's ended up on another tee, which was probably, you know, 50 to 60 metres right of, of where he needed to be. Um, but, you know, that's just golf. You take the good with the bad, so... Um, he played much better than me down the stretch, so um, you know. Obviously, I, I play. I thought I played a lot better than him all day, but um, you know that's golf. It's just uh, it just happens. So you know, I had some good luck as well. So um, you know, it's a bit of both worlds. So you know, you just take the good with the bad, I guess. The uh, the situation that you find you found yourself in there. I mean, what do you learn from that? Upon reflection, you sit there and you you said before you can either dwell on it or you can take the positives and move on. When you're in that and living that moment, Dylan, what are you thinking? What are you trying to overcome? Um, you know, just the, obviously you've got to get used to putting yourself in pressure situations. So um, it's all about learning how to handle it and uh, and basically you know making sure you're doing the right things, not to get too caught up in the moment when you're on the golf course and all that sort of stuff. So um, obviously, you know, I was thinking a little bit about, you know, what the outcomes are of, you know, potentially winning the tournament. Um, I think everyone in my position would have done the same thing. But, um, yeah, I just I hit a few, you know, a couple of bad shots down the stretch and, and uh, he just took advantage of them and, you know, I hit some good parts coming in um, that I thought I, I thought I had, but you know, just it just wasn't meant to be. So, you know, we'll just uh, we'll keep we'll keep moving forward, and you know, my time will come. The um, that that experience, I imagine, does hold you in good stead, and it obviously clearly didn't go the way you wanted it to go. But I imagine, even though you spend all this time on the range, involved in high performance programs up in the amateur ranks, you actually can't train for that. You can't practice that situation. So living it, obviously, well, I would think it would help you down the track. Do you reckon that's right? Uh yeah. I mean, obviously, you, you're definitely right there. You can't, you know, you can't practice these situations. So. I mean, the more chances you put yourself in these situations, the better you're going to handle them in the long run. So, um, yeah, so, you know, you just got to put yourself there and, and just wait for the breakthrough, I guess. Dylan, you're part of this amazing era of amateur golf in Australia. If you look back just in the last sort of four or five years, the, the calibre or the quality of the golfer that is coming through is quite extraordinary. What's your situation? You're 22 years of age. Is professional ranks, is it, is it on the horizon? What's your plans over the next sort of 12 to 18 months? Yeah, it definitely is. In, it's in my mind, that's for sure. Um, you know, obviously, depending how the rest of the year goes, if it goes how I want it to, I'll definitely, um, you know, do some tour schools towards the end of the year. Uh, probably, you know, just do our local Australasian one to start with and maybe an Asian tour or something. Um, and then sort of mid-next year, I want to look to the Japanese tour. So, obviously, you know, it's uh, not where I want to be long-term, but it's, uh, it's definitely a, a good good way to start. Do you see what uh, Brett Coletta, Curtis Luck, um, even you know, one of the young guns, Ryan Ruffles, coming through and, and think that, well, you know, they're having success uh, since turning professional, that it, that, it, that it can be sort of a pathway that you can succeed at, seeing what they're doing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, I played all my sort of junior golf and with those guys. So you know, I was playing with them and, and saw how they played. And you know, it's it gives me a lot of positives knowing that you know I was playing with them as as an amateur and and mixing with them. So 
I mean, if I do everything right, I, I definitely think I can, you know, be as successful as them. Is it hard to be patient in that regard? Because you've seen that those guys particularly have, have gone on and uh, hit the pro tour and competing pretty well at that level. Is it hard to sit back and, and be patient and bide your time? Uh, yeah, it is. Because, you know, as an amateur, you're always burning money, going everywhere. But, <laughs> you know, you, 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 yeah, as bad as it is, but you've got to do it, I guess. Um, you know, it is... It is... Uh, how do I say it? Um... It's hard knowing that you just got to know when when you're going to be ready for it. Mm. Um, it's hard to prepare yourself. Um, you know, you you get to the top as an amateur, and then once you turn pro, you, you're straight back at the bottom. So you've got to you know make sure you're prepared for that and all that and all the things that go along with that. So um, you know, it's definitely an exciting time at the same time. Um, but, you know, you just got to make sure you're prepared for it, that's for sure. It's an interesting scenario you paint there because you are. You go from being the kingpin in the amateur world to being the absolute bottom of the food chain in the professional ranks. It's like going from primary school to secondary school and having that, that sickening feeling about how you're going to fit in and where you're going to land in the grand scheme of things. Who helps you with that, prepare for that? I mean, obviously, your constitution personally would obviously play a big part in that, but are there people outside in your circle that try and help you prepare for that mentally? Yeah, you know, you definitely need good people on your side to sort of, you know, um, push you in the right directions and, and keep your head straight. So I think, you know, you just you you talk to all the guys you know, like all the young guys that have turned, you try and have a chat with them and, and try and get their insight of how they dealt with it all and and just try and get as much information out of the people you know um, to sort of prepare yourself for it. But as you said, it's, it's kind of all up to you at the end of the day. So um, you've just got to be as mentally strong as you can and, and just uh, take it all in your grasp. Now, Dylan, I know that we've we've dwelled on, on what happened over the course of the weekend, but you've got another chance to get into the Open Championship this week, and it's uh, the European Amateur, and it's at Walton Heath, and it's a stroke play event, yep. and you've started the tournament incredibly well, considering all that's that's happened over the last week or so. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm stoked the way I started this week. Um, you know, a lot of people back home are, are proud of me, um, considering... How last week went, and uh, you know it's good to it's good to bounce back off you know what would what was a bit of a disappointing finish. So um, you know it's a positive start in the tournament way I did, and uh, hopefully we can just carry on for the rest of the week and and just uh, and see how we go. And, and can I say how well you handled it publicly uh, in the aftermath? Uh, it was a very classy performance from you, Dylan. And uh, I know a lot of people back home are very proud of not only getting through to the final, but, but how you handled the disappointment. It was a, a very classy effort. Uh, thank you, guys. It's much appreciated. Well, you got yourself uh, a 600 in the first round there at the European Amateur there at Walton Heath. Hopefully, we see many more of those 600s for the remaining rounds in the tournament. Dylan, you're a credit to yourself, young man. It says a fair bit about your ability to bounce back after uh, a bit of a setback last week. So, again, the Australian golfing future is looking very, very bright. We wish you the best of luck this week. Hope it goes really well. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, guys. So Dylan Perry catching up with the boys from the Breakfast Club on RSN. Sure, it's not going to be the last time we hear from that young man. Um, just about time to wrap it up. Any last bits of business that either of you two have got to chuck onto the table before we say goodbye? I uh, just uh, mentioned before earlier, Andy, that Jordan Spieth had hit the $30 million prize money mark. And I, I, it just got to me a bit. So I started 
fishing around in the career prize money. He's number 25 Already. all the time. Already. Number 25. He's 23 years of age. Oof. But then I started looking at, well, some of the other Aussies. Jason Day is 15th. Adam Scott's 7th. He's won $46 million on the US PGA Tour alone, this is. Then I thought, well, what about Greg Norman? 114th he's dipped to. Is that right? Jack, Jack Nicholas, 261 with oh. his with his lazy 5.7 million. I so mean, there you go. I mean, there's a lot of money in the game. They're not talking about inflation though. They need to get some stats on those stats. <laughs> Stat. If they don't, if they don't do that, it makes the career money winners irrelevant. Yeah. If they don't somehow find a way of getting some kind of you know parity um, based on when and now, then and now, then the whole thing just becomes a joke. Yeah, it's just going to become a game of leapfrog, really. Isn't what about it? you? Anything you want to chuck in before we get going? Yeah, the winner on the Symmetra Tour, um, the secondary tour over in the States. Uh, they were at the Island Resort Championship, which I believe was in Michigan, but Emma Talley won. And uh, she, by doing so, she actually became one of only four people um, to ever win. She won the US Amateur. She won the NCAA uh, Championship, the individual title, and now she's won on a major tour. And so one of only four people to ever do that, um, along with one of my ex-Dukies, actually, uh, Virata Nirapath Pongporn. Um, was one of those to do that as well. But, uh, it's Can you say that again for us, please? Virata Nirapath Pongporn. That's, That's why they pay me the small to medium dollars. <laughs> and you, can't, you never miss a chance to mention those blue devils, do you? You do throw. That's the second time today you've thrown that in. Yeah. Usually I don't, but, um, you know, when, when she's done something like that, I think we should claim it. And Hannah right? Green had another terrific result there, so she just keeps piling good result upon good result. Yeah, and it's the fifth event in a six-week swing, so a lot of the girls are starting to get a little tired. So the fact that she's still, uh, yeah, topped uh, another top five, she posted that, so... That's a good sign that her game's holding up well. Just a couple of little bits and pieces. Golf taketh, but it also giveth. It's an amazing game like that. Andres Romero loses his status on the PGA Tour, goes and tees it up on you know one of the really big events on the European Tour, the BMW International, shoots 17 under and wins. It's a it's a awesome. it's an amazing game, isn't it? Like he must have been on the bones of his backside when he loses his card. You know that lose your status and yeah, that challenges a lot of things about who you think you are. I imagine as a professional in this sport, and then he comes out and has one of the greatest moments of his career. Yeah, it's reminiscent almost of Ash Hall at the Australian Open, isn't it? When uh, Ash was pretty much ready to toss in the clubs, and then you know went head to head. He was he was talking Spieth. to his wife about you know what what they were going to do with their Getting future a job. because yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a brutal game, but uh, you know, this week in on the European Tour, it was all about course setup, and uh, it was a birdie fest. And what that does is it lets all of the players from anywhere inside the top thousand in the world into the mix. That's mm. that's what happens. The good players are hoping for a tough course, and they're hoping for bad conditions because that's when the cream generally rises to the top. And uh, you know what? That's that's what happened this week. And and congrats to Romero. Just one last one. I've been. Keeping it on the web.com, and Jamie Arnold just keeps posting results. He's not sticking his nose in the frame. He doesn't. He hasn't looked like winning one of these events, but he keeps posting top ten, top fifteen, top twenty-five results. And he he did so again on the weekend, finishing tied twenty-three. Um, he's got himself to fifty-second on the money list now. Given the fact that I think he missed his first six cuts, I think I'm right in saying that on the on the schedule this year. Uh, he's playing some consistently good golf at the moment. So he's climbing. He's one of those guys that's climbing. Top 25 is where you want to be at the end of the year. So just if you haven't quite jerried yet, it might be worth keeping an eye on Jamie and Arnold and some of the work that he's doing on the web.com tour. As a tour player, it's it's what you want. I would, any day, I would take 
you know, five top 25s over one top 10. Mm. Um, the reality of it is that your game's in a very consistent place. It's it's a money earner, which is what you want. And, you know, and it keeps the stress off, obviously. And he's he's got into a... A cruising pattern at the moment, it's working for him. It is, and Robin Allenby actually had a reasonable finish over there as well, the veteran, so they're at all ends of the scale. He's still playing. Hanging in for the senior He's tour. still playing, isn't he? Um, that is just about it for the show. Don't forget, um, Clates and Hazy will be back next week on the revolving chairs that we have here on Inside the Ropes. Uh, tweet us at Inside the underscore Ropes before next Wednesday, the 5th of July. If you've got any question you would like answer, we're going to have a rapid-fire quick question series with Clates and Hazy next week in our Ask Us Anything segment. Use the hashtag, hashtag Inside the Ropes on your tweets. That is it. We are done. Uh, a big weekend for the women in the game. We'll all be watching. Al, thanks for joining us on the show again. Pleasure as always. Alison Whittaker, and to you too, Blakey. Uh, another nice big work, week, Andy. Uh, in the see world of up. golf. Good to see you. Martin Blake, joining us. Thanks for tuning in again, folks. Uh, we'll do it all again, same time, next week.